So we're doing this series on our a membership, on a membership class. As I said last week, welcome to membership class. Welcome back. Hey, we're almost done. We're almost there. Next week, Pastor Aaron will wrap it up and give instructions on what the next uh, steps are. Had somebody come and say to me last week after the service, am I a member yet? <laughs> I love that. I love that. I go, yeah, that's right. Are you a member yet? Oh, Oh yeah, no, we got a secret handshake we need to teach you next week. <laughs> Not really. Uh, but we will have, really what it will boil down to is, you will sign a document that said, yes, I affirm these beliefs that we have gone through. And then we're going to have you meet with elders and you're going to hear their testimony. They're going to hear your testimony, I should say. And so forth. I won't tell you more about that. Pastor Aaron will do that next week. Uh, so that is coming just so that you are aware Membership, we believe, is important. Why is it important? By the way, I want to just say this. You do not have to be a member to be here and to be a part of this fellowship at all. That is not the requirement. Why then membership? What is so important to that? In membership, there is a covenant, a commitment we make to one another, and that is important. We find that to be very important. I think in our membership, we're agreeing on, we're on the same page. We agree with vision, where we're going, our mission, our values, our beliefs, core beliefs, and so forth. And it helps to promote unity then, a commonality together as we seek God together. Does that mean if you have a difference of opinion in some of these things, you can't have commonality and we can't have unity? It does not mean that. God does highly value unity, and we want to see that in our church, and we do see that, and it's a beautiful thing. I want to revisit a comment or so that I made last week, if you, and I said something like, if you don't agree with these things, you don't belong here. I may have said something that strongly. I want to just say, I'm sorry, I, that's not my intention. Our doors are wide open. I've said this all the time, we're not a club. If you're not a member of IBC, you're still welcome. We want everybody here to come to worship Jesus. This is his church, not ours. Now, to serve in the church, serve away. We're called to be serving in the church. We have positions in the church, though we like people to be committed in membership to do that in order to serve in that way. That's where that is at, okay? So we don't want to exclude. We're not an exclusive club. Just let me say that up front, please. You belong here. Maybe you fit somewhere else better. That could be the case between you and the Lord. Just don't cause dissensions. <laughs> That's all. Just don't cause problems, okay? <laughs> don't even ask questions. No, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I'm very much kidding. I, boy, I stuck my toe right in that little spot. Dude, landmine. <laughs> Ask questions. Ask questions. Let's engage in discussion. Today's topic is one of our core values. Here's what it says in our official document. We believe that all the redeemed, once saved, are kept by God's power and thus are secure in Jesus Christ forever. We are talking about secure in your salvation. Because the question is, can be, can I lose my salvation? Can I lose my salvation? It's an important, important question that we're going to talk about today. And another way of putting it is eternal security. 
in his new book that just came out and I just ordered it. It's coming today. I can't wait to read it. Kept by Jesus, by Sam Storms. He says about eternal security, an accomplished fact. Our salvation is secure for eternity and cannot be lost. We are secure in God's love and in his eternal purposes and he will not let go of us. He will not let go of us. So, here's how we're going to start this. First question I'm going to ask is, are you saved? Are you truly saved? This question is the foundation of everything that we're going to be talking about today. I will tell you this, it's the foundation of your whole life. It's that important. It's huge. Do you know beyond the shadow of a doubt, that you are reconciled to God right now? Do you know for sure that if you were to show up at heaven's gate today, that you would be allowed in through the gate into heaven? Or the famous question, if God were standing at the gate and you showed up, And he said to you, why should I let you into my heaven? Do you know what you would say? Would your answer be something like, boy, because I tried really hard. I gave it all I had. I kept my nose clean. The good things that I did outweigh the bad things that I did. What might your answer be? What does it take to be truly saved? I might ask in this way, the confidence meter, one to ten. One is I have no idea if I'm saved or not. Ten is I know I'm going to heaven. Beyond the shadow of doubt, I'm saved. I will be in heaven. Where are you at on the confidence meter? Five, I might be. Six, I hope so. (laughs) Maybe that's four whatever it may be, you all, this question is critical to your life today, the rest of this year, the rest of your life, and your eternity. This question is that important. In 1 John, we read, I write these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may know that you have eternal life. It's that important. It's critical that you know you're not guessing, you hope that when the day comes, if God allows you to have an awareness that you are going to die, that in those moments, you are at perfect peace. As a pastor... One gets the opportunity to be at deathbeds, to see people take their last breath, or to be there and help plan their memorial service. I had the privilege, I guess, and it was, to do a burial service. There was no memorial service. It was all at the gravesite over at Mount Angeles of a woman who did not know Jesus. 
There were about 50 family members there, and about two of them knew Jesus. And I knew that. When we talk about grief at the end of life for somebody who did not know Jesus, that grief is inexplicable. That grief is abject terror and grief. But for somebody who knows Jesus, knows where they are going into an eternity in the presence of God himself, there is great joy in the midst of grief. Great joy. Do you know that you are saved? I want to just walk us through what it means to be saved. I'm going to go through the gospel right now. We call it the gospel. It means the good news. But then we're going to talk about, can you lose that? Can you believe one time and then walk away from that? I like to call this the Romans road. Key verses in the book of Romans that just spells out the gospel and it goes like this. The first one is Romans 3.11. We need to understand this foundational piece. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. We are born with a sinful nature. So we enter into this world already set against God. That in and of ourselves, we do not pursue God. We don't have it in us to do that. So when it says no one does righteous, no one does good, no one can do anything that has any eternal value to God. Because God is a holy God. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. One sin gets it done. But we've all sinned. Every one of us. And we fall short of God's glory. See, God is holy. He is glorious. He has majesty. But His holiness... His, in his holiness, God can have nothing to do with sin. It cannot enter his presence. And so for us, born into this world with a sinful nature, we have no hope of entering into a relationship with God or gaining his approval. No way. We have sinned and we fall short. There is no way we can measure up. We fall short. Romans 6.23 tells us then, because of that sin, the wages of sin is death. The penalty for that sin is death. That word death really means separation. It's an eternal separation from God and his glory. We're eternally separated. We have no chance, is what that means. That's the punishment. Praise God, it doesn't end there. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He paid the penalty for us. He said, I'll take your place. You are to die because of your sin. Jesus says, I will die in your place. And that is exactly what he did. And then Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved 
For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Our role is to receive it, as we have said for the last couple of weeks. Our role, our job is to understand what Jesus has done for us, the provision that God the Father made through Jesus dying and God's wrath being poured out on him, the punishment for our sins pouring out on his only son in our place. We trust in him for that. We believe in him for that. And then we are saved. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that nobody may boast. Can you imagine if it were based on works, the boasting that would happen? We got inside heaven and we're standing around going, what would you do to get here? Oh man, let me tell you what I did. Dude, you're going to be impressed. (laughs) That is absolutely disgusting, to be honest, to God's grace. He took our place. He did it all. There's not a thing you can do. So when you stand at heaven's gate, God says, why should I let in my heaven? You're not going to say, because I was really good. That won't get you in there. It's really by the blood of your son, Jesus. I placed my faith in him and I believe he took my place. Thank you, Father, for making that provision. Now, let's turn to 1 John 3. Everybody, please, 1 John 3. Now we're going to push a little bit, okay? Now it's going to get a little sketchy. So the question is, are you truly saved? What does it mean to be saved? We're going to read 1 John 3, the first 10 verses. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Okay, this is talking about Christ's followers. Those who have placed their faith in what Christ has done, the redeemed, the saved, those who have salvation. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure." an identification with Jesus. That there's a day coming, it's called our glorification, when we are in the presence of Jesus, we will appear like him. We will be in glorified bodies. We will look different from what we look now. But that day is coming. This is our salvation. It's wonderful news. But look at the next piece. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. 
Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Wow. Powerful words and scary words. So this morning, as as we move through this message, here's an opportunity to really reflect on your life, on how you are doing, how what you are believing before Almighty God. This talks about really the fruit or the evidence in your life. You claim to know Jesus, and yet you just keep on sinning. We'll break that down a little bit more here in a minute. But the pattern of your life is what is being talked about here by John. The the practice of sinning. That is a pattern of your life is to sin. Now, all of us are sinners, saved by God's grace, and we all sin. Let's make sure that's clear. I will never stand before you and say, yes, if you're saved, you will not sin. In fact, maybe you won't sin very often. You know what? We sin every day. We sin every day. I just get so irritated with it. Somebody after last service last week told me, yeah, I left them so filled up when I left the service. We went to the store, whatever. Nothing happened, but I was, so, I was just irritated about everything. <laughs> it's sick. We're made of that. We're being redeemed by that. We talked about the sanctification process. But we still sin. It's important that we understand this and that we talk about this because our expectation as Christ followers, as I, I am saved, I have trusted in Jesus, therefore I shouldn't sin anymore. We're called to be holy. We're called to be perfect. And yet we're not even close. We do sin. We do stumble. What this passage is talking about, when we talk about a pattern in our life, it's a willful Walking in sin is what this is. James Whitcomb Riley, he's the one who said, when I see a bird that walks like a duck, swims like a duck, and quacks like a duck, I call that bird a duck. So to be saved, are you pursuing God in your life? Yeah, you're going to stumble and you're going to make mistakes. But as the pattern of your life is practicing 1 John 1, 9, you know, as we talk of, of confessing your sin and God is faithful that he will forgive and cleanse us from that. Hallelujah, what a great truth. But as you consider your own life, is that your pattern? Or do you come to church and it's great and you leave and whatever with God, I'm going to live my life my own way. 
then we have something that we need to talk about. I'll ask it this way. So the question might be, if you claim to be saved, would others be able to validate that? Would others be able to validate that and say, yeah, you are saved. I can see it in your life. Doesn't mean you're a holy person walking around. You are positionally holy because of the righteousness of Jesus. As a saved person, you are. But as we talked about last week in our sanctification, we're in this process of growing. And we're still living this life. The flesh is still all around. And our propensity... Our flesh wants nothing to do with our spirit, with the spirit. Our flesh wants nothing to do with seeking God. So there's the war that exists within us, and sometimes it gets us. But as we grow, it has less hold as we go, but it's always there. So the next question is, as a believer, as a true believer in Jesus, can you lose your salvation? There are three main theological views on whether you can lose your salvation or not. The first one says you can lose your salvation. You can believe in Jesus at one point in your life, and then somewhere down the road you go, no, I don't believe that anymore, I'm walking away from that, and you lose your salvation. You can repudiate your confession of belief in Jesus. The second theological position is once saved, always saved. Might be a child, six years old, trusts in Jesus and never gives it another thought, but they came to Christ, they can never lose their salvation the rest of their life. They're good to go no matter what they do. They believe that, yeah, you're saved, and what you're doing really, though, in the rest of your life is forfeiting the rewards that you will have in heaven. The third position, which is what we hold here at IBC to be true, if you're truly saved, you cannot lose your salvation. As a truly repentant sinner who has trusted in Christ's redemptive work on the cross, you will live a life characterized by the sanctification process that we talked about last week. That will be true of your life. If someone who has claimed this position, if someone who has claimed to have accepted Christ is living a life that is clearly ungodly, did that person really understand salvation? Was that person really saved in the first place? That would be the question. There are warning passages, in fact. In Matthew 7, we read this. Twenty-one to twenty-three. Scary little passage. Jesus talking, he says, Not everyone who says to me, this is uh, seven of Math, chapter 7 of Matthew, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's a scary piece of scripture right there. 
People who were actively working for the Lord. And God says, I never knew you. Get away from me. Depart. What this is talking about is somebody who's busy about the Lord's work, but inside is really not a believer. Whatever the motives may be, I'm not going to assign any motives there at all. Maybe pure motives, but truly did not understand what Christ has done for them. Sue and I know a missionary that was in Venezuela in a tribal setting, church planting. So he had gone through missionary training, probably Bible college, and now he is bringing the gospel to a people group that had never heard of who God is before. As he is teaching tribal people about Jesus, the understanding comes to him, and he is flat on his face before Almighty God because he came to an understanding in that moment that he himself was lost and he trusted in Jesus in that moment. Yikes. In Bible school, when I was in Bible college in Wisconsin, 18, 19 years old, we had to sit alphabetically in order and the man next to me named Ron, we became very good friends and are to this very day I will never forget an Ephesians class. He prayed to receive Jesus as his Savior in Bible college. Our salvation is an act of the Holy Spirit giving us the power to understand our need for Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians 13, 5 and 6 says this. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. What's the test? <laughs> I love that. Self-examination. Am I truly saved? Lord, have I placed my faith in Jesus for what you have done for me? Yes, I have. Well, hallelujah. You are saved. You know, there will be times you will have doubts whether you're saved or not. Even though you are. We all have them. We all have them. There are times, and I'm sure they've already happened for many of us, maybe all of us, has for me, is God real? Do we dare ask that? What if this isn't, what if what we're doing is a sham? What if it's not even true? You know, we can ask those questions. Did I really trust in Jesus? Did he really save me? There are times we have doubts. Maybe it's times when we're sinning, we are caught up in a sin, or we just keep stumbling, you keep slipping. They go, Lord, am I really saved? Why do I keep doing these things? I just keep messing up. What about the unpardonable sin? You all know about the unpardonable sin? Pastor Aaron preached about this when we studied the book of Matthew. 
And it came upon this passage it's in, in Matthew. I, I remember being in grade school, sixth grade, somewhere in there, when I, um, I and my friends came upon this verse, these verses, and it freaked us out. This is what it says about the unpardonable sin, Jesus talking. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. I remember reading that, and we were going, oh my word, blaspheme the Holy Spirit. If I say, I blaspheme you, Holy Spirit, I will never be saved. It's impossible. That was my understanding. Until you understand what the passage says, then you'll get it. Until then, you will not. Here's what Sam Storms in this new book, he has said about this. And here's the answer. In other words, words coming out of your mouth about the Holy Spirit, even in a mode of anger or whatever, are not what this is talking about. The unpardonable sin, therefore, or blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, is not a single sin committed by a Christian that results in the loss of salvation. It is a deep-seated, entrenched, lifelong disdain for Jesus that unbelievers, like the Pharisees of the first century, commit. People guilty of this sin remain unrepentant and defiant. Because this hard-hearted repudiation of Jesus is lifelong and puts one beyond the power of repentance, it is beyond the possibility of forgiveness. Jesus said, come unto me. He knocks on the door. If anyone hears and opens the door, God will always accept those who turn to him every 100% of the time. He gives us that promise. This is talking about an unrepentant heart because it is the Holy Spirit that works in us. And to stiff arm the Holy Spirit all your life, you will not be forgiven. That's all that that is saying. That's what it means by blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You may ask the question, did I truly trust in Jesus? Am I really a Christian? If I die today, will I go to heaven? Well, my mom, when I was a little boy, I don't know, what is it about me that freaked her out? (laughs) Stop laughing, it's really not funny. (laughs) Tick me off, you people tick me off. (laughs) When I was a little boy, As my mom would tuck me in the bed, we would pray. She would have me pray. And she would tell me the words to say, Dear God, thank you for this day. Jesus, please come into my heart. Every night. Every night. I remember. As a four-year-old, I remember this. And I look back on that now, and my mom was scared that I would not come to Jesus. I don't know, it was really not that much of a terror, I'm sure. There's more to be said, but I'll leave it alone. (laughs) Then when I was five years old, it came through as clear as the day. Not when I was being tucked into bed, it was a Sunday night in my house on the Amazon River. I understood 
I was separated from God because of my sin. And Jesus had paid the penalty for my sin. And I needed to trust in Jesus. And I did. God's timing, it's God's spirit who does that. Our salvation is secure. It is secure. But let's remember this. Our justification, our sanctification process, glorification when we're finally there in his presence, are a work of God in our lives. It is what he is doing in our lives. It is not me. We have a role to play as we talked last week. Our perseverance, our persistent pursuit of God, our consistent living for God are all God's work in us. We depend upon God for all of this. Our journey of faith is dependent on God's work in your heart and in your mind. So you seek God, Lord, do it in me. Work in me, grow me, sanctify me, help me to become more in the image of Jesus, your son. It is his work in our lives. He is the one who keeps us. Our role is to accept, as we have said the last two weeks, now this third week, our task is just to receive, is to believe and receive the gift of salvation that he offers through Jesus. And then it's to pursue God the rest of our lives. When God says it, it's final. Dwight Moody tells this story. It is said of Napoleon that while he was reviewing his army one day, his horse became frightened at something and the emperor lost his reign and the horse went away at full speed and the emperor's life was in danger. He could not get hold of the rein, and a private in the ranks saw it and sprang out of the ranks towards the horse and was successful in getting hold of the horse's head at the peril of his own life. The emperor was very much pleased. Touching his hat, he said to him, I make you captain of my guard. The soldier didn't take his gun and walk up there. He threw it away stepped out of the ranks of the soldiers and went up to where the bodyguard stood. The captain of the bodyguard ordered him back into the ranks. But he said, no, I won't go. Well, why not? Because I am captain of the guard. You, captain of the guard? Yes, replied the soldier. Who said it? And the man pointing to the, and the, man pointing to the emperor said, he said it. That was enough. Nothing more could be said. He took the emperor at his word. My friends, this is Moody, if God says anything, let us take him at his word. He that believeth on the Lord Jesus Christ shall not perish but have everlasting life. Don't you believe it? Don't you believe you have got everlasting life? It can be the privilege of every child of God to believe and then know that you have got it. Let me read to you some verses about your security in your salvation. John 17, 11, Jesus talking, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Keep them in your name. Keep them, preserve them, hold them close. 
Hey, Dewey, here we go, my brother. Romans 8, 38 and 39. And you read it so powerfully and beautifully. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from God's love, from his salvation. John 10, 27 to 30. My sheep hear my voice. If you have trusted and placed your faith in what Jesus has done, you are saved, you are his sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. You cannot lose your salvation. Second Timothy, but I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. It is guarded in us. Our salvation is guarded in us. So this thing of salvation, God knows that we forget It's amazing how much we forget. It's amazing the fact that we forget. It's crazy. So this morning, when Mike and Leah had just arrived, they were hanging out in that little coffee zone over there. And Leah hasn't been here since before that was made. Kevin Yancey and all your work for that. Thanks, brother. We love that little place. It's great. Leah goes, what did it used to be? And I had to think a minute. Yeah, what was that space? Oh yeah, it was the library. How long has it been? A year? Something like that, Kevin, that you finished? What was that before? This is how we are, though. This is how we are. We forget. God knows that we forget. He knows that people forget. Even the amazing things that God does, we forget. When the Israelites were traipsing through the wilderness, and it was time to cross the Jordan to go into the promised land, this is recorded in Joshua 3 and 4. It's an amazing scene where here they all are. It's much like the Red Sea. The the, the religious leaders, or the priests, were carrying the ark, and God gave instruction on how they were to do this, and the priests were leading the way, and God said, the minute they stepped their feet into the Jordan River, into the water, the waters will part. And that's exactly what happened. It says, upriver, there was a big wall of water that stopped, and it became dry ground. Then God gave some instruction And he said to Joshua, select one man from each of the 12 tribes and have that man in the middle of the Jordan pick up a rock and take it with you. Okay, so that's exactly what happened. They all crossed through. Those 12 men picked up a rock. They brought it across. Now they're across. And this is what the word of God says. 
The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do those stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever." In other words, so that you will never forget and you can keep on telling the story and that God's glory will be proclaimed when you look back at that monument and you remember what God did because God knew we would forget. And within our own generation, we will forget. And how much more he wants the next generation to know and the following generations. God has given us things like that to help to remember. Communion, when we partake of communion, In remembrance of me, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me so that you will not forget what Jesus has done for you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes back. Don't ever forget. Baptism. I believe baptism is one of those as well. Baptism is a powerful moment in a believer's life. And later on, when you have doubts, you can look back and go, wait, I got baptized. You may go, am I truly saved? Have I ever really trusted in the Lord? And you look back on baptism. Why did I get baptized? In fact, one of our last years in Brazil, I baptized a a young 17-year-old, junior in high school, baptized him. Two years later, I believe it was two years later, we were here in Port Angeles, He was in the States going to Bible school. I got a phone call from him. He said, hey, Mr. Lotz, I trusted in Jesus last night. I think I'm going to get baptized. Okay, John, let's talk about that. What happened? Oh, we went and saw The Passion of the Christ. Oh, okay, it's a powerful movie. Um, John, it was just a year or two ago that Remember when I baptized you? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, it was great. Why did you get baptized that day? Hmm, because I, was, I trusted in Jesus. So what's going on now? Okay, through the film, he came to a deeper understanding of what it is Jesus has done for him. And it felt like he was re- getting saved for the first time. When we talked about work out your salvation with fear and trembling... I think this is a part of that process. As we come to a deeper understanding of what Jesus has done, sometimes it feels like, I never really understood it like this, which you didn't. But it doesn't mean you weren't saved then. When I got saved at five years old, I've grown a little bit since then. (laughs) I know, I know, it's loaded there, I know. I've grown, I've learned so much. I love the things that God has taught me about his salvation, what he's done for me. Oh my, the things that I feel now that I never felt then because I didn't understand what I understand now. In five years, 10 years from now, if the Lord allows me to still be alive, 
I trust it's even deeper than it is right now. But this is why baptism is so important. Because it's a marker in your life. It is a public statement. I trust and follow Jesus today. It's a very important thing. It's an important part of our, of our growth, our understanding of who God is, and it's a marker in our life so we will never forget. You can think of our salvation, somebody has likened it to a three-legged stool. There are three parts to this. There's the objective part. It's an objective reality of the gospel. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It's just a statement of fact. You believe in Jesus and you're saved. There's also an internal working of our spirit, that the spirit works with our spirit. Romans 8, 16 says, the spirit, the Holy Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. There is a spiritual thing that takes place. The Holy Spirit in us connects with our own spirit and lets us know that we are a child of God. There is an awakening of our spirit that says, I am a child of God. That grows in us as we understand more deeply as we go. There's another aspect, and that is perseverance. An ongoing evidence of the transformed life that there has truly been an experience of salvation. The sanctification process. So am I truly a Christian? I sin? I fail? Am I really saved? You know, if we live in that place, you all, you live in a place of doubt. God is not a a God of doubt. He does not want you to live in doubt. He wants you to be secure. He wants you to bask in the salvation that he has given you. This robs us of peace, of joy, of confidence in his salvation. It drains the human heart of energy and commitment. My prayer is that even this morning, as we have stepped through these aspects of our salvation, that you are encouraged today to trust in the salvation that God has granted you by his grace, through faith, and all that Jesus has done for you. You know, I've never met a 20-year-old that gave up walking when they were learning to walk. I've never met a parent who watched a child learning to walk, took the first step and fell down, second step fell down, got to five, and they just couldn't advance anymore, so they said, yeah, let's, never mind, let's give up. Or the child saying, I quit, I can't walk. I'll never learn to walk, I'm stopped. You know, this is no different from our spiritual journey, our spiritual walk. It's learning to walk. We grow in that. Never give up. Keep seeking the Lord all your life. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all those who have gone before us, let us also lay aside every weight which so easily entangles. Let us run with endurance the race set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, He is in that process. He started our faith, he provided our faith, and he will finish it. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand at the throne of God. 
making intercession for us, praying for you, bringing you before the Father. That is what is happening. I'm going to close in prayer, but before I do, I want to just say, if there's anybody in here, anybody who is watching, if you have not placed your faith in what Jesus has done, this is not rocket science. It's counterintuitive. Because in our human existence, almost everything in our lives says we have to earn it. We have to earn the reward. I've got to do something first. Well, the doing has already been done. Jesus did the doing. He paid the penalty for your sin and mine. And he invites you to trust him that that's what he did and place your faith in him. If you have not done that, anybody in here, anybody watching, may this be the day of your salvation. May this be the day you place your faith in him. We pray to that end. Let us bow in prayer. Lord, this this thing of salvation is no little thing. It is everything. It has become, Lord, since the existence of mankind, since the fall, what you have been about. Redeeming the lost. Redeeming your creation. Drawing people, Lord, back to yourself. And Lord, you have made that possible by the blood of Jesus, by his dying on the cross. But it didn't stop there, Lord. You you raised him from the dead. Victory over death and victory over sin. We are forgiven, Lord, and we can live a life that is victorious in our salvation. And so, Lord, this morning, we are here firmly planted in the salvation that you have given us. And all we can say, Lord, is glory to you. All glory to you. We praise your name. We thank you. for the great salvation that you have given us. Lord, help us whenever there are doubts to cast those doubts aside, to be able to walk firmly, confidently in the faith that you have given us. Knowing, Lord, it's not anything we have deserved, anything that we have earned. It's all what Jesus has done, Lord. It's what you have done for us. That's why we can walk confidently. Because, Lord, if it were up to us, we would have no confidence. But it's what you have done, and we just say thank you. In the very precious name of Jesus, amen.